Sustainability in Finance. Sustainability in Finance. A podcast hosted by the International Sustainable Finance Center in Prague. Join us and explore different perspectives of finance and its importance for the Central and Eastern European region. Hello everyone, welcome to our newest episode of Sustainability in Finance podcast. After a few previous episodes created with the content from our CEE Sustainable Finance Summit, we are switching our podcast to a more traditional format of one-on-one discussions. Today, we will talk to an inspirational leader with a vast knowledge on sustainable finance and sustainability reporting standards, Ms. Maud Godry. It is a pleasure to welcome Maud to our podcast. Hello and thank you very much for joining us. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to see you again and and to have that occasion to chat with you. It's a pleasure to have you. We actually saw each other a few months back at a summit I just mentioned in person, but this time it's through video, but still really good to have you here. So Maud is the the former global co-head of sustainability at Mazars and also has been a lead project manager at the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, also known as EFRAC and more recently left Mazars and is now an independent senior advisor on sustainability. So the panel discussion at the, the May summit, which Maud was a part of, was the most viewed session. You can find the link to the video and the audio recording in the podcast notes under the podcast below. So Maud, thank you very much for joining us today. I think we can just kick off and maybe start with the first questions. And the first question we'd like to maybe keep a little bit broader. So we can you know, go from the big picture to more specific topics. So the first one, so why did you actually pick a career in sustainable finance? And why do, why do you think that we need any sustainability reporting at all? Well, actually, I didn't pick that career path. It just happened. And it's my, my career is definitely not a straight line. It's actually a lot of uh, you know, turns and, and jumps into different directions. For both for, for personal reasons, like, you know, life happens and sometimes you have to um, change things just to adapt to what's happening to you. And But, but also because, you know, in, in a number of situations, I met people who really made me think about what impact do I want to have in my career in addition to, to the impact I can have in my personal life. So I'm a lawyer by training. I was meant to be, you know, a lawyer in a big firm uh, working on M&A. And when I started doing internship, I was like, like, no way I can do that, right? It's a huge machine and it just eats people and eats people. I just don't want to be part of that, you know, consumable resource that they use. And this is how I ended up, uh, you know, I started my career at Mazar already more than 20 years ago in financial audit. And from, you know, one thing leading to another, then, you know, I had to take a break for personal reasons. And I had a very insightful and life-changing experience of humanitarian uh, work in, in Cambodia. And that really changed uh, the way I was thinking about my career. And, and I, I really learned some tough lessons from these people. And that had me started thinking about, well, listen, you know, career is not just about making money for myself or getting a status or I want to contribute to something bigger. And I am in an environment and an industry that can make a difference. You know, that industry being financial services industry at the time. And when working at Mazar, most of my audit uh, clients were banks or asset managers. So I had a very close link to that financial uh, services industry and in the banking and investment world. So soon enough, I get, you know, hired by a bank. And this is how it all uh, started, you know, like really it wasn't, it was never planned. 
it's just a series of readjustments and changes in direction to get closer to what drives me and what kind of impact I wanted to have in my career. So that that's for your first question about, you know, uh, did I pick that career? No, it kind of didn't fail, uh, it didn't fall on me, but I made it happen. But but really, I didn't graduate thinking this is the career path I want to have and this is how I'm going to go about it. And why I think sustainability reporting is uh, critical. Well, if you had asked me that question three years ago, I'm not even sure I would have had uh, you know a straight answer to that. Here again, it's uh, life happening. I'm rejoining Mazar and uh, the former president of Mazar is taking the leadership of that task force uh, within EFRAG. And this is how I get to become that project manager for EFRAG. And leaving from inside, you know, the, uh, the discussions that were taking place at the European Commission level at that time around the CSRD, that Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, which really is the framework for sustainability reporting in Europe, I realized how obvious it was that we needed serious information and standardized information if we wanted to you know, make huge progress on the sustainability agenda in Europe, but also how not ready we were to get there. So why is it so needed? It's because, I mean, we've seen uh, you know, all the uh, events this year between you know, climate events, social events uh, around the world, including the war in Ukraine. If we continue the way we're, we're you know, operating industries and, and uh, creating value while destroying value, but neglecting that we are you know, destroying value at the same time we're creating financial value, then life on Earth is going to become really challenging very soon, right? We're not talking about long-term horizon. We're talking about the generation. Maybe our generation will see uh, you know, the devastating effects of, of what we're doing today. For sure, children and grandchildren will, will experience those difficult lives. So if we want to manage those impacts and if we want to make the right investment decision, but not just investment, like living like in my real personal life decision, then I need to get educated on what matters and what doesn't matter, what is urgent and what is not, what are the risks and what are the solutions. And in order for all stakeholders from the financial services industry to the real economy to uh, political uh, decision makers to citizens, we all need to speak the same common language. Otherwise, we just don't understand each other, right? The same way we have a common universal language for financial information, we desperately need a well-recognized and accepted universal language when it comes to non-financial information. And this is why you know, the, the work of EFRAG was so important. And this is why everything that's happening on, on the European Commission side around sustainability reporting is really a pivotal element of the public policy in Europe. Because if we don't have that language, we're going to continue having nonsensical discussions between different stakeholders, and we won't be able to make the progress and changes that we need to urgently make to change things. No, I completely agree, actually. It was sort of a two-part question. I The first part of the question definitely resonates with me. And I think I think most people we speak to are working in sustainability, sustainable finance and impact. It is based also on personal beliefs and values and you know feeling that urgency that we want to contribute to that change and transition somehow. And I'm really glad to have you bridged already to the role of EFRAC and the role of why we need, exactly why we need sustainability reporting at all, you know, how it presents that 
mutual language. But then, so talking about EFRAG, as you mentioned, so, and as you said, so especially in Europe, and I think we, we both agree that European Union is leading on that front and trying to really focus on the importance of not only sustainability reporting, but also other pillars of sustainable finance and sustainability. But so do you think that the current work or the current role of EFRAG as it stands now and together with the European sustainability reporting standards, is it going to help direct the capital to businesses with not only with better ESG performance, but businesses contributing to that sustainable transition? I think it's a key element of the jigsaw but it's not the only you know, element that we need. It's key because I think the role of finance, generally speaking, is to do two things. I'm oversimplifying, obviously, but basically I would put it down to that. First, it's to contribute to lower the negative impacts of the real economy and, and of the, you know, the footprint of human beings on Earth. And in order to do that, then you need to make you know, investment decisions that will be based on enlightened view of what the impacts, positive or negative, of a particular business are or could be if we were to do this and that, that require, you know, financing, right? So that's the first goal of finance. And of course, because I think people tend to point at uh, finance as being the, uh, you know, the bad guy, because those guys only, uh, you know, are only driven by, uh, you know, making money and more money. Well, but it's not only people, uh, you know, make, making themselves richer. It, behind the, the financial markets, there are hundreds of millions of people whose retirement money is put to work to finance real economy, right? But at the end of the day, the role of finance is also to make sure that that retirement money from pensioners around the world will continue to grow to finance the the end of their life. So the finance world cannot endanger those investments by making stupid decisions that will, you know, reduce the financial value of those investments, which is, you know, we we never discussed that difficult balance because for a number of reasons, but I think it's mainly driven by the fact that a lot of people don't understand how the financial, uh, you know, markets really work and and who are the the ultimate investors and whose money is being managed by institutional investors. But when you think about those two key goals of finance, then of course you realize that the decision makers within the investment and in, in the banking uh, you know industry when they make decisions they have to have a clear understanding of what are and what will be the impacts of the businesses they finance right and in order to do that back to what i already said we need to have a common language and we need to have some sort of a you know a framework where we know a cat is a cat a dog is a dog, and you see what I mean, right? We, we know what we're talking about. And so we should not be confused about what EFRAG can bring to this and what it cannot, is that EFRAG deals with sustainability reporting. It's basically what kind of information makes sense to report on what kind of topic and how should it be reported, right? But even if you give the best tailored information to users, the information reported is the best quality information an element piece is a very important uh, element of the jigsaw is still missing. And that is that the user of that information needs to know what is at stake, right? And this is the second very important element that is not covered by EFRAG because it has nothing to do with reporting. It has everything to do with knowing what you're talking about, training, raising the level of knowledge 
of users of information in terms of what kind of risks are we talking about? So what kind of risks am I trying to manage by investing or not investing in this and that? And that is a very different story, right? That will not be addressed by FRAG, but which is a key success factor for all of this to really transform into positive effects in terms of how we invest in what and what kind of results we collect from those actions. And I completely agree. And I'm actually really glad that you described that role, not only in a way what the role is, but also what it's not, which I think sometimes people do get confused. And let's be honest, we do have quite a few acronyms flying around. And I Definitely. also think... Welcome that, to Europe. Yeah, exactly. And also, as you said, there's, there's more steps to it, even more parts. Um, and essentially, I think what the EU is trying to do and also EFRAC with the standards is increased transparency. So data provision, data collection, you know, so to actually provide or create data in that market. But it's difficult for them to force others to make the decisions. But going maybe one step back, because, you know, when we talk about the standards being created and what they serve for, they also need to be used properly. They used to need to be applied and used correctly. And now, you know, us recording the podcast from Prague and from Central Eastern Europe, I think, you know, some of the application or use of sustainability reporting or maybe even ESG as a topic has been a little bit delayed compared to the West. So I think it's also very important to maybe discuss how can we ensure that, you know, the FRAX reporting standards are effectively applied, are actually absorbed and accepted by the companies and are used well by investors? That's a very interesting question and, and a very important one. Whatever you impose on companies will only be accepted and fully used if it makes sense for, for the company that uses it, right? If it's an, just another layer of bureaucracy, companies will either just do the job to tick the box or they will pass. Like, I don't care. I have other fish to fry. I have other priorities. I want to invest into this. And this is what was at the core of the discussions and all of the you know hard thinking as part of um, the standard drafting by EFRAG Information has been thought and tailored to be useful for decision-making by the companies that will have to use it and report it, meaning that it's been thought to cover risks and impacts that are important for the company to be aware of so that it can protect itself against risks, anticipate those risks and manage them, and also look into reducing the negative impacts they might have, but also increase the positive impacts and any changes in terms of how you manage negative or positive impacts is in itself an opportunity to do business differently and to create value, right? So that's always good for business. And I think, I don't know how EFRAG intends to actually roll it out. And by the way, it's not going to be managed by EFRAG. It's more the role of the commission who will ultimately adopt those standards. But the way they will accompany and communicate, not just about you have to use those standards to be compliant with the CSRD obligations, but this is what it's going to, what kind of value it's going to bring to you to drive your business and to manage it in the most secure way knowing you know what's ahead of us in terms of if I pick on climate, climate challenges. So I think a, a very important element of success is going to be to not just focus on the technical aspects of uh, the reporting exercise, but on the added value, what kind of light it's um, 
shedding on a particular business, on its risks, and very importantly, on the opportunities as well, right? If you don't make that tool a tool for driving business, then it's going to be a flop. This is a very interesting angle, actually. I really like it because we, especially with, you know, sustainability standards, we often talk about how investors make decisions, you know, how how they decide and compare between companies. To be honest, this is a very interesting angle, how those companies and how, you know, how these standards were designed so the companies can reflect on their operations, right? And on their business models and how they can actually improve, so to speak, improve some of the parts and some of the aspects of their businesses to be more resilient. Exactly. I think very shortly, but it can also be seen as a sort of a a checklist of the most likely risks, impacts and opportunities any company might be, uh, you know, facing. And if you go, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going through that checklist, it will prompt reaction or it should prompt reaction from me in terms of, oh, right, I never thought about that risk. Now that I know I'm potentially exposed to it, this is Either I know how to handle it or I will turn to people or organizations that will know how to handle it and, and that will implement the solution, right? So seen like this, it can also be used as, I think, really a source of uh, help for those smaller companies that have never looked at um, sustainability risks and opportunities before because they have other fish to fry or they don't have the means to do so. They don't know where to start and what to start with. Well, but this is a checklist that is going to be the backbone of a more wholesome approach to sustainability risks and opportunities. So in this way, sustainability reporting in itself is going beyond just transparency. It's also prompting or it has the potential to prompt changes in behaviors from entrepreneurs and companies and potentially and hopefully changes in strategies and contribution to uh, the sustainability challenges we all know about. With the vision that while maybe it's easier for bigger companies, which will start you know, adopting the standards, then going forward, maybe in the next couple of years, you should also go to SMEs and some smaller companies to actually cover the whole market, if I understand correctly. That's exactly it. And it's it's kind of logical, right? Because in a number of uh, European countries, the larger companies are already subjected to reporting obligations in terms of sustainability information. So they're more used to uh, producing that information. And I think it will be, but they don't represent the majority of uh, the real economy in Europe, right? The vast majority of the real economy in Europe is made of uh, SMEs. So we wouldn't reach our political ambitions in terms of sustainability at the European level if we don't embark all of those SMEs, keeping in mind they don't have the same resources and means that the bigger companies have, right? So giving them more time to be ready, an obvious uh, way to embark them, and that will also give them time to observe what the larger companies in their value chain are requesting from them as a contributor to the final information provided by the larger companies. And that will trigger necessarily discussions between smaller and larger companies. And that will create a momentum where the smaller companies benefit from the experience of the larger ones, including in terms, not just in terms of assessing risks and opportunities, but also in terms of what kind of technical data management systems uh, should I use to collect information, to secure it, and so on and so forth. So learning from, from the front runners 
is kind of part of the scheme that was thought by the, com- the European Commission when, when they drafted uh, the CSRD. And I think it's essential it's being implemented because if we were to limit that transparency uh, you know, uh, requirement at the level of the larger companies, then we would just like miss the entire objective of the political commitments. I actually believe, and I, I think it's very evident how, you know, that longer term strategy or scheme, as you said, by the EU is very clear. And we ask, I think we all see how much effort and how much focus there is on these topics and, you know, on the not only transparency and sustainable finance, but as I said, sustainability and obviously under the Green Deal. That is mainly in Europe, or at least, you know, Europe. in Europe, we are, I think, seeing some of the leading work being done on these topics. And as you mentioned, even in your in your intro, so you did have different jobs before, and we know that you also worked, well, at Mazar as well, but you also worked at the investment banking division of Societe Generale in Paris and New York. So we spent some time in the US. And could you maybe compare what is happening maybe outside of the EU and maybe... You know, what are some differences you witnessed between the EU and the US uh, in terms of the approach to non-financial reporting and building standards? That's a very interesting question. I think the, the, the most obvious difference between Europe and the US is that in Europe, everything, largely speaking, but it's particularly true when it comes to sustainability uh, commitments and goals, is public policy driven. Europe drafted the Green Deal and agreed to take very ambitious political commitments in terms of all the three pillars of um, sustainability goals. So everything is driven by public policy, whereas in the US, everything is driven by financial markets, right? So, and this is a very important difference because it explains why Europe is further advanced in terms of uh, actual commitment to, uh, you know, meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement, if I take that one, versus there is no such thing in the US. The political system in the, in the US is also very different from what we experience in Europe. So that kind of, uh, if not opposition, at least very different perspective between public policy driven versus market driven is really the core of what's driving what's happening or not happening on both sides of the pond. And in technical terms, if I you know, zoom into uh, what it means for sustainability reporting and the development of standards, this is why we've seen for the past uh, few months, two years, in terms of EFRAG developing standards in Europe versus the ISSB developing standards on a global footing, it's not just US, but uh, with ve- two very different approaches. The European approach is is, uh, famously based on what we call the double materiality perspective, whereas the ISSB slash global um, initiative is based on the financial materiality perspective. And that is very uh, critical difference because in the first one, the standards and the transparency expectations value and put on an equal footing information on the impact of a given strategy and and operations on the financial performance of the entity. And it's not or, it's and. The actual impacts, whether uh, they are positive or negative, or of the operation, the company's operation on its wider environment, not just the, the green environment, but also people, uh, local communities, consumers, uh, the whole society, and so on. Right. So, whereas on the global uh, initiative, focusing only on financial materiality, it won't require companies 
to give any information on their positive or negative impacts on the wider environment. And I think this is a key, I would say, weakness of the global initiative. Because having been a banker, when I assess a risk, I'm not just assessing the consequence of the risk, whether it's credit risk or market risk, uh, to use terms that our uh, financiers use uh, on, on a daily basis. But I, I just don't want to understand what those risks will have in terms of consequences on the PL or the balance sheet. So monetization of the risk. But I, I need to understand, I want to understand that I do due diligence to assess that, what those risks consist on, by what are they uh, driven, how can they be managed, avoided, and so on and so forth. And that is the equivalent of the impact materiality that is embedded by the uh, European approach. If you miss and if you skip that part, then I'm sorry, I just don't see how an investor can make an informed decision about the risk that is going to be translated at some point in time into the financial uh, statements of the company. I'm flying blind if I don't have that kind of information. I'm trusting the company's judgment as to what will be the monetized impact of a risk it says it, it's facing, but I have no concrete element to challenge that judgment. And I think that is really a critical weakness of the financial materiality approach used by Global Standard Setter. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I think this is a crucial point you just touched on in specifically consideration of company's impact, which definitely gives you a better view and better understanding of the big picture of companies and the environment they operate in. And in fact, from my experience from talking to investors and not only in our region, but also globally, we see this change, this progress, often called shift from ESG 1.0 to 2.0, where measuring and understanding of impact is one of the most important elements. And even when we were providing our feedback to EFRAG as part of the ESRS consultations and when reading other feedbacks from large asset managers, it was clearly one of the key points investors and future users appreciated that impact and double materiality is integrated in the standards because I think it is one of the biggest trends and the next steps for the field of sustainability reporting. It's very clearly the focus on impact and impact management and more sophisticated methods for impact measurement to see how companies, activities and operations are actually contributing to the transition. Definitely. And to look back to, uh, you know, the opposition uh, between policy, uh, public policy driven versus market driven, when you made commitment, political commitments to reach goals that are documented with clear, quantified targets, then you need a metric to monitor the achievement or lack of achievement in meeting those targets, right? So, it actually all loops back together. If you have uh, targets and commitments, then you need to be able to measure how you achieve, how fast or how you're lagging behind on those commitments. And if that doesn't exist, like it's the case in the US, then indeed you have a different kind of need in terms of information. Nonetheless, from an investment perspective, 
you still need information on those impacts so that you can form your own judgment in terms of assessing how you know serious or not the risk you're taking by investing in that company uh, really is so and i think as you just said more and more investors are really claiming that they need information on impacts because it's core to their investment decisions so more thank you so much for all the insightful and very practical answers and normally what we try to do in our podcast is also to ask maybe at least one or personal question so in this case i would like to ask you what is that one piece of career advice you wish you had been given when you were starting in your career that's actually a question that i realized i never asked myself so i have to to kind of think genuinely about it i think what i would say you know contemplating on uh, the not straightforward carry path that i've had and the many you know negative comments that i got each time i decided to make a change when i started my career i maybe that's you know a generation uh, issue also but when i started my career a good successful career was a straight line going up at a steep angle all the time from beginning to end and this really created tension for me and i think i missed a number of opportunities that now i regret not taking on uh you know at the time a good career advice for me at that time would have been no one else but you know what core value you bring to the professional world right so the only beacon that you need to trust and to follow is what brings you joy in what you do professionally if that takes a tortured twisted path then so be it like don't be afraid or don't let yourself be driven by people commenting that this is not the right way to do it good successful people do it this way well no because we all bring different skills and and values to the same kind of uh, tasks and there's not one way of doing the same thing and actually when we talk about sustainability just to bring it back to uh, you know the earlier discussion sustainability challenges are very complex issues and it requires that you're comfortable with a number of different techniques fields skills soft skills hard skills so the more diverse experience you have the easier it is to grasp the scale of the challenges and it makes easier identifying solutions and a straight career going you know on on the tra- fast train tracks from beginning to end is not going to bring you that kind of diversity that is critically needed given the um the challenges we currently face so whenever i meet you know youngsters that are starting in either you know audit at mazar or big investment uh, firms actually this is the kind of uh, provoking uh, comments that i make i really encourage people to not follow what is long lived tracks i think but really make their own experience and a good gauge of whether it's the right place or the right way for you to to be doing what you're doing really is does it make you happy or not right I know it's kind of weird to place happiness in front of workplace but I really think it's a very important and healthy feeling to experiment uh, and experience uh, every day um, because when you're happy doing what you're doing then 
your performance one way or the other, whether that performance is recognized or not by the company you're working for is a different story. But I think for uh, the wider community, it's probably the best way to contribute to whatever it is you decide to contribute to. So that would be the career advice I wish I had many years ago. And I do think that is a very inspiring career advice. And thank you so much for bringing it back to sustainability as well. I think same as for the standards, where we need more innovation and new approaches, same as for sustainability Definitely. and even sustainable finance, I think. I think the same thing goes for the for our careers as well. As you said, we need slightly different view to actually solve and tackle some of these very complex complex problems. Great. So thank you so much, Maud, for joining us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you. Many thanks to you. It's, it's it definitely shared, uh, you know, pleasure. I really enjoyed that conference uh, months ago, and, and I'm so glad we had that opportunity to chit-chat today. That's really good to hear, and because the CE Sustainable Finance Summit will happen again in May 2023, so we're already working on that really hard, and we look forward to it. Okay, well, thank you to all listeners as well. Stay tuned for the upcoming episodes with inspirational global leaders in sustainable finance, and this is everything for today. Thank you for listening to Sustainability in Finance. Check out our website at isfc.org and make sure to follow us on social media for more content. We hope you join us for the next episode.